And amen, you may be seated. Well, we're going to jump right into the scriptures tonight, so I want you to take your Bible and go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, where we'll be tonight in our study in the scriptures, 1 Thessalonians. And I'm looking forward to uh, preaching this truth that God has laid on my heart this evening. And uh, uh, such a wonderful book of the Bible, uh, a relatively unknown book of the Bible, except for uh, a little snippet from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and one verse in chapter 5. There's so much good truth for us packed in this uh, particular book of the Bible. And we said from the beginning, uh, the name for this series is Living Today, Longing for Tomorrow. That's really what the, the epistle, the letter of 1 Thessalonians is all about, living today, longing for tomorrow. And so tonight we're going to look at chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 5 through 10. And uh, in, in this passage of Scripture, we're going to be studying uh, what I've called the marks of a gospel ministry. The marks of a gospel ministry. Now, <clears throat> sometimes you can just look at something and tell that it's the work of a certain individual. Uh, maybe you walk in a room and, and you say, that was definitely so-and-so that did that. Uh, that was definitely so-and-so that, that organized that. Uh, reminds me of the story I heard about uh, uh, a little boy and his grandmother. They went to church, and the grandmother gave him a quarter. And she said, son, I'll give you this quarter if you promise me to keep your grandpa awake through the church service. Now, she sang in the choir, so she wasn't going to be sitting beside them. So she gave her little grandson a quarter, quarter and said, just keep him awake during the service, and you can keep that quarter. Well, she looked down during the service, and she looked, at, she looked at her husband, and lo and behold, he is snoring asleep. I mean, he's just knocked out. And so after the service, she went to her grandson, and she said, I gave you a quarter. Why didn't you keep him awake? And the little boy told his grandmother, Grandpa gave me 50 cents not to wake him up. The work of a certain individual, all right? I kind of think some of you might pull something like that off here too, okay? Um, but I, I love that story, and it reminds me of the fact that sometimes when you see something, you can just tell, oh yeah, that was so-and-so that did that. You know, when there is a gospel ministry in any place, it bears a very distinct mark. In other words, you can look at it and say, that's God that did that. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that is impacting that place and it is evident. It is obvious. It is one of those intangible things. You can't put your finger on exactly on what it is, but what you know it is, uh, is it is the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It transforms and changes lives. And as Paul was writing to these Thessalonians, he could definitively see the marks of a true gospel ministry among them. Now, in his book entitled Spiritual Leadership, J. Oswald Sanders told the story about Dr. John Getty, who many of us might not, might not know by name, but he went as a missionary to Aeneadum uh, in 1848, and he served God there for 24 years. And then after he passed away, they, they erected a stone in his honor, and part of the inscription that was written on that stone was this. When he landed here in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. What a powerful testimony. You see, the impact of a gospel ministry is something that has a ripple effect for generations. And it's something that is absolutely undeniable. And so the ministry of the gospel that has had an impact like this in a place like Thessalonica, in a place like uh, the, 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 the country that Dr. John Getty went to, hey, do you understand that the power of the gospel can still have that kind of impact today? The power of God is not bound it is not limited. God is just as powerful today as he was in the New Testament time period as he was 100 years ago. God can still do powerful things through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. 
God's, the gospel of Christ, it still has power today. And so as Paul took time to reflect on all God had done among the Thessalonians, he could, he could very see, clearly see these distinctive marks of, of the, the benefit of their gospel ministry there. And I want us to see the words that he wrote here beginning in verse number 5. If you're with me, say amen. And this is what the Bible says in verse 5. It says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come." When the gospel is preached and people are reached by its power, it leaves a distinct mark. And that's what we are going to notice as we study the scripture here tonight. And so what are the distinct marks of a true gospel ministry? And more importantly, or equally important, do we bear the marks of a gospel ministry? If we don't, in what ways do we need to grow as a church so that we can have the testimony like the church at Thessalonica of being a gospel ministry, a ministry that God is working through with saving, sanctifying power. And so as we study this text, we're going to see four distinct marks of a gospel ministry. Number one, if you want to write this down, if you're taking notes, I want you to notice the first mark, and that is the influence the influence of a gospel ministry. Now let's look at verse 5 together, and let's read it out loud. Verse number 5, if you're there, say amen. amen. Verse 5, let's, say, let's read it. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake." As Paul reflected on the ministry of the gospel among the Thessalonians, the first thing he noted was the measure of the influence um, that, he could, that he could see all throughout the city. And that he, he begins to, to notice how great of an influence the gospel had had among the Thessalonians. And, you know, as we think about the example of the Thessalonians, the truth is, wherever... Gospel ministry takes place. It still has the same kind of influence. I want us to see what kind of influence it had. The first thing I want you to note down here is that it is not a superficial influence, but it is sincere. It is sincere is the first word I want you to write down there. It's not superficial. It is sincere. Verse 5, again, it says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power. Not word only, but in in power. Albert Barnes noted, it was not a mere empty sound that produced no other effect than to entertain or amuse. The gospel that was brought to them, in other words, it wasn't all talk and no action. No, it, it, it had a powerful impact upon these believers. Now, the word used for power there is dunamis, and it's, it's the same word from which we get our English word dynamite. Boom! It had a very explosive effect among the people of Thessalonica. Uh, I mean, it didn't just, if you go back and read Acts 17, it wasn't just a, a couple of people that got saved in three weeks. It was a whole multitude of people. Uh, what happened when the gospel started to be pre preached in Thessalonica is a city was being shaken by the power of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so much so that the rulers and the religious leaders started getting envious. And they chased Paul and Silas and Timothy out. And it was a very explosive impact that the gospel began to have on the city of Thessalonica. When they heard the gospel declared, it had a powerful influence on their lives. 
And uh, one person noted they not only heard the sound of the gospel, but they submitted to the power of the gospel. And as we'll see in a little bit, it had such a powerful impact on their life that they were willing to turn from the religion that they had been taught from, the, from their fathers and willing to forsake it to follow the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Such a powerful impact it had upon their lives. And let me say, the gospel is not merely the presentation of an idea, but it is the operation of a power. I'll say that again. The gospel is not merely the presentation of an idea, but it is the operation of a power. When we, when we share the gospel, it's more than just a story. When you embrace the truth of the gospel, the death and burial, the resurrection of Christ, and you receive Christ as your Savior from your sin, you are transformed. You are passed from death unto life. It has a powerful impact on your life. And that's why the gospel ministry that took place in Thessalonica had such a powerful effect. It wasn't in word only, all right? It wasn't superficial, but it was sincere. It worked in power in their lives. Now, here's the second thing I want you to write down about this. The second thing we see is that it is not sentimental, but it is spiritual. Paul said, it came not unto you in word only, but in power. And what's the next thing it says? Look at the verse, verse 5, but in power and in the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, but in power and in the Holy Ghost. And so it's not a sentimental thing that was happening here, but it was a deeply spiritual thing. Another mark of the influence of the gospel was the clear work of the Spirit of God among those believers. And let me say, there can be no true working of God apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, a lot of churches today, they put on a show every week, and it seems like there's something happening. But all that's really happening is religious people preying on the emotions of human beings. You know, if I played music in a certain way, and I, we, we did services in a certain way, we could swoon people into doing, uh, making emotional decisions. And I've seen this happen a lot of times at youth, youth meetings especially. But this was not a mere emotional response that was happening. This was a clear and true working of the Holy Spirit of God. And the decisions that were being made and the transformation that was taking place was coming as a result of the moving of the Spirit of God. And what God had done among them was not, uh, was not the result of emotional sentiment, but it was the result of the true working of the Holy Spirit of God. And let me remind you of a truth here. The Spirit of God is the one that uses the Word of God to change the people of God. And that's how it works every single time. We don't have time to go there tonight, but in John chapter number 16, Jesus talks to us about the ministry of his spirit. And he said, I'm going to send my spirit to you, and when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. In other words, the spirit will come with conviction. He will come to convict. Later on, he said he's going to come, he's going to be a comforter. The Spirit of God is the one that comforts. Later on, Jesus said, He'll be the one that guides you into all truth. The Spirit of, the, the Spirit of God is the one that opens our understanding to the Word of God. In any time that God is truly working in, a, in, in any place, any city, any church, it is always because the Spirit of God is at work. And I'll tell you this, there's not a person that gets saved that the Spirit of God doesn't touch his heart first. There's not a person that makes a spiritual decision of any kind that it wasn't the result of the Spirit of God working in his heart. We need to get away from this idea that you and I, that you and I can be naturally spiritual on our own. We are not naturally spiritual. And so, hey, anytime a, a spiritual working of God takes place, that's a supernatural thing. That's something that can only come from God. And so we see that this, this influence of the gospel, it was not superficial, but it was sincere. It was not just, it was not sentimental, but it was spiritual. Here's the third thing I see. It is not skeptical, but it is sure. It is not skeptical, but it is sure. Look again at verse 5. The Bible says in verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in what? 
much assurance. It came in much assurance. The gospel had such a powerful influence that it fully convinced these believers of the truth. And that's what much assurance is talking about. It, it speaks of a deep conviction or great fullness of divine working. That's what full assurance is, or much assurance is. One person put it this way. It says, he said, they were fully convinced of the truth of the gospel so as not to be easily shaken in mind by objections and doubts and even persecution. So convinced they were of the truth that Paul had preached to them that they turned from their prior belief systems, even for many of them, it cost them perhaps their lives or their livelihood. But nothing could shake them from their persuasion that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and they weren't going back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. That was the anthem cry of these Thessalonian believers. And we can see the influence of the gospel and how it took these people in just three weeks and caused them to be fully persuaded that this was the truth. And they, they were not going to turn back. And so the, the influence of the gospel is always seen when people forsake all to follow. Now, we've been looking at this with the apostles. When Jesus calls the apostles, he says, follow me. And guys like Peter and James and John and Andrew, they forsook all and followed. That's always a mark of a true disciple of Christ when someone's willing to forsake it all, everything they thought they had before, to follow Jesus. Sadly, many seem to embrace the gospel as if they only half believed it. Or as if it were a matter of very doubtful truth and importance to them. There are all kinds of people that want to embrace the idea of Christianity. Or they want to come to church because they want God to help them out of a bad situation. Or they want handouts perhaps from the church itself. And there's all kinds of people that cl uh, claim the title of Christianity. But when difficulty arises or persecution comes as a result of their faith, they fizzle and they fade out. That's not, the, that's not what happened for the, the Thessalonian believers. They were fully persuaded that this was the truth, and they could not be unpersuaded. They could not be turned back. And true believers have been fully persuaded by the truth of the gospel, and no persecution, and no criticism, and no any such thing as this can dissuade them from the truth of the gospel. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 1.12, he said, for the which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know whom I believe, and am persuaded. That's what Paul said. And that needs to be, uh, that needs to be our heart cry. If, if the gospel has truly impacted our life, it's not something that's merely skeptical, but it's something that is certain, something that is sure in our hearts. Here's the fourth truth I want you to write down. The influence of, of the gospel ministry, it is not merely stated, but it is shown. It is not merely stated, but it is shown. Look at the end of verse 5. The Bible says here, As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now, these Thessalonian believers had become convinced of the truth that Paul and his companions has taught, had taught, that it was real. And one of the reasons they had, be, they had become convinced that it was real is because they watched Paul's life. They watched uh, Silas's life, and they could tell what, what they were talking about. They themselves believed, and what they were talking about was something that was very real. Now, we don't have time to go there tonight, but Paul's testimony of transformation is quite incredible in itself. He went from being a, uh, 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 a killer of people in churches to trying to bring people into the church. I mean, you, couldn't, you almost couldn't get a bigger contrast than that. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16 is one of my favorite uh, records of the testimony of Paul. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners in that passage, and yet God had grace on him. Paul himself had experienced the transformative power of the gospel of Christ, and as he preached the gospel, they watched him. They didn't only really watch what he said, they watched how he lived, and they could tell that, that what he was preaching was something that he believed and was something that was very real. 
And so this, the influence of the gospel ministry is not something that's merely stated, but it is something that is supposed to be shown. Now, the old Peanuts cartoon, Snoopy was on top of his house, his dog house, and he had a bunch of baby birds there with him. And it was time for them to learn how to fly. And so he was up on, on top of his house, and he starts to flap his wing, flap his ears like they were wings. And he runs off the edge of the house, and as soon as he runs off, he's flapping, 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 and poof, right on his face. He gets up, climbs back up on top, and he looks at all those little baby birds, and he tells them, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Sadly, when it comes to many of us who profess to be believers in the gospel, the influence that we're having is just the same. Do as I say, not as I do. The reason the gospel ministry was so powerful was because it was genuine. You know, you've heard it said before, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And people learn more by how you live than by what you say. And listen, if, if our gospel ministry is going to make a difference in the lives of, of those around us whose lives we touch, it's got to be something that we don't only talk about, but something that we strive to live. And, and that was why the influence of the gospel was so powerful in this place. And so we see the influence of the ministry of the gospel was very evident at the church in Thessalonica. And I wonder, is the influence of the gospel evident through our church? Let me ask some questions. Is there a sincere spiritual working of God taking place among us? Is it drawing people to be sure of their faith even through hardship? And is it being shown through the lives of those who claim to believe it? I don't know about you. Those are big questions, and I need some help in some of those areas. Because I believe that God wants us to, to be a gospel-preaching ministry, to, to bear the marks, the distinct marks of being a gospel ministry, but we've got to allow him to do it through us. And so we see the first mark is the influence, the influence of a gospel ministry. The second mark I want you to note is the imitation of gospel ministry, the imitation of gospel ministry. Now, verse number six, let's read verse six again. It says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Another distinct mark of the gospel ministry in Thessalonica was the manner in which the people had become followers of Jesus as a result of it. The manner in which they had become followers of Jesus as a result of that gospel ministry. Paul said, you became followers of us. That word followers comes from the Greek word mimites, which literally means imitators. Uh, mimites means imitators. We get our English word mime from that. What does a mime do? Does a mime talk? No. In fact, that's the whole idea of a mime. They're not talking. They're, show, they're, they're mimicking someone else's actions without words. And that is exactly what Paul was implying when he said, you as believers became imitators, mimes of what you were taught from us and from the Lord. And that is actually a powerful illustration in my, in my mind of, of, of the power of the gospel that took place here in this ministry. And let me say, true gospel ministry produces true followers of Jesus Christ. A true gospel ministry is not marked by a crowd being built, but it is marked by Christ followers being built. True disciples of Jesus Christ. A church that is not just growing bigger in number, but is growing more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is implying. It was a mark of a true gospel ministry. So we see the imitation of gospel ministry. Now as we think of this imitation, three things I want to note about it. First off, I want you to notice the process. The process of imitation. Verse 6, again, it says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Can you read that out loud with me in verse 6? Let's read it together. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Notice the progression there. First they followed us, then they followed who? The Lord. The Lord. Now that progression is very significant. Every believer, every new believer, needs a mature believer to come alongside them and help them to grow in their faith. You know that has been God's design from the very beginning? 
Brother Reese alluded to it this morning. We led someone to Christ and we took a whole year to mentor them, to disciple them. That's what we're talking about. Whenever someone new comes in the faith, they need someone who's a little bit farther down the road in the faith to come alongside them and help them to grow in their faith. And Paul illustrated this when he said, you became followers of us first, but then ultimately you became followers of the Lord. And, and that's exactly how God intends for uh, people to grow in their faith. And let me just stop here and say it, it is not wrong to follow a man so long as he is following Jesus. In fact, the Bible actually tells us that we ought to have spiritual mentors. Now, sometimes, because all men are sinners, the best of men are men at best, need to be careful because there are people who are uh, intentionally trying to lead you astray from the truth. And every once in a while, one of you will say, well, I listen to so-and-so on the radio, and I might say something to you like, well, don't listen to him. You say, what, are you jealous? Like, no. I'm not jealous. I'm trying to protect you from someone who's not preaching the truth. All right? There are people who are like that. But listen, all of us need spiritual mentors. All of us need people who are challenging us and helping us to grow in our faith. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, we should be followers of others no further than they are followers of Christ. And I love that. And when it comes to who is going to be a spiritual mentor in your life, make sure it's someone that obviously and clearly is following the Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so the ultimate goal for any of us as believers is to take people and help them understand the truth of God's word and ultimately so that they would point their eyes to Jesus. We're not trying to, to reproduce copies of ourselves, all right? That would not be a pretty thing. We're trying to reproduce copies of Jesus Christ. That's, that's who people need to grow to be like. And so we see the process of imitation. Next, we see the pattern for imitation. The pattern for imitation. Verse 6, it goes on to say, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word. They received the word. Their imitation was patterned after the word that was preached to them. That, that phrase, having received, it's dekomai. It, it literally means to embrace. And, and what the scriptures is indicating here is that these believers had fully embraced the teaching of Christ through the Apostle Paul. Listen, they knew that even though the word being spoken to them, they didn't have a written copy of the New Testament like we do. They knew that even though the word being spoken to them was being spoken to them by a man, they believed that the word being taught to them was coming from God himself. You say, how do you know that? Well, flip over to chapter 2 and verse number 13. Chapter 2 and verse 13, we'll study this more later. But Paul, Paul noted this about these people. Chapter 2 and verse 13, he said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because uh, uh, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And boy, let me tell you something. These believers... One of the reasons, what, what they patterned their imitation at, what they were following after was the word of God preached by the men of God that had been appointed over them. And, 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 and that is so important for us to understand as well. Let me say this. It is so important that we understand the pattern for living the Christian life is not found in a tradition or in a person, but it is found in God's word. As a Baptistic church, we often put it in, this, in these terms. We believe the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. What do we mean by that? Well, the Bible is our sole authority for what we believe and for how we live our life. If it's not in here, then we need to be careful. We want to live, we want to be people by the book. And one of the reasons that these uh, this, this Thessalonian church was noted for their imitation, for their following, was because they patterned their following after the word of God. Listen, a lot of churches get led astray because they get stuck up on tradition. They get stuck up in legalism. They get stuck up in culture, fitting into the culture of their time, and they get away from the book. We need to be people of the book. They were noted not as followers of the world, not as followers of this camp or that tradition. They were noted as followers of the word of God taught to them by the men of God. 
one of the things that attracted me to this church from the very beginning, nine years ago, was the fact that this is a church that loves the Bible. And may we never stop being that kind of church. We see the process of imitation. We see the pattern for imitation. But the third thing I see is the product of imitation. Verse number 6, it goes on to say that they received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Hey, these Thessalonians not only imitated the principles that they were taught, but they further imitated the practice that was wrought by the apostles. Yes, they received the word, but the way they received it was the same way that they watched the apostles living out the truth of God's word. Matthew Henry noted the Thessalonians embraced the word cheerfully and followed the example of the suffering apostles joyfully. Now, Paul and Silas had demonstrated right before their eyes how to have joy even through suffering for the sake of Christ. Before they came to Thessalonica, they'd come from Philippi. They got thrown in prison for preaching the gospel in Philippi. And what did they do while they were in prison? They sang praises to God. All right? A prison singing ministry. Amen? They had demonstrated by their own lives and testimonies a spirit that was faithful and joyful in serving the Lord even through difficulty. And so the Thessalonians, Paul noted, had followed after, had imitated their example of joyfully suffering just like they did. Let me remind you, nowhere in this Bible is there a promise that the Christian life will be easy. In fact, so far from it, Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 33, he said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He said, the joy that I give you, no man can take away from you. That's what he assured us. He didn't tell us we wouldn't have trouble, but he said even in the midst of trouble, we would have joy. You know what joy is? Adrian Rogers always used to say, joy is the flag that is flown from the castle of my heart when Jesus is in residence there. You know what? No matter what you're going through, you can still have joy because you still have Jesus. They had the joy that comes only from the Holy Ghost, even through affliction. Uh, and they learned how that was possible by the examples of the apostles. And boy, we see the, the imitation of this gospel ministry. It was so powerful. Now, I have five kids now, and so I've learned a thing or two about having kids. And one of the things I'm learning more as my kids get older is they tend to do more and more things like us. Now, that can be very good, and that can be very bad all at the same time. The other day, uh, we were driving down the road, and I don't remember exactly what she said, and I didn't even hear what she said because I'm deaf, but uh, my wife told me what she said. Holly was sitting in the back, and she had a little Bible in her hand, and she was sitting back there, and she said something like, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And, you know, I heard her say that, and I know, I know she probably heard that in every Sunday school class and every Sunday night service that, uh, that, that we, in every VBS that we've ever been to. But you know what? I, I'm glad that there are parts, uh, there are parts of, of our life that she's witnessing and she's wanting to imitate. And that's what we're talking about. Paul said we were so happy we could tell the power of the gospel at work among you because the things that you saw us doing, you're carrying it on. You're imitating it. And that is a mark of a gospel ministry, the imitation. We see the influence. We see the imitation. Here's the third truth we see. That is the impression, the impression of gospel ministry. Now, if you're still with me, say amen. All right, we're just, just starting to get good right now, all right? Verse number seven, the Bible says this. It says, so that you are in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So indisputable was the testimony of what God had done there at Thessalonica that the Bible says the church at Thessalonica had left an impression on all other believers. Listen, they are still leaving an impression on us today. And I want us to think about the impression that they left because of the work of God that, that, that had been done among them. The first thing I want you to note down here is the imp that the impression was etched. It, it was etched. 
Uh, verse number 7, again, it comes and says, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He noted here that these believers were in samples. You say, why did they, they have to put in samples? Why couldn't they just put examples? Because examples isn't what it means, all right? And uh, you be careful at tampering with, with, with words when you don't really understand what they mean. The, the word in samples, it comes from the Greek typos. That's the uh, Greek word from which we get our English word type, all right? And it speaks, uh, it literally speaks of a figure formed by a strike or an impression. Now, I was supposed to bring something tonight, and I forgot to bring it, uh, but I've got an old typewriter. How many of you ever used a typewriter before? All right, I've got... Lyle Eckleberry's old typewriter that he, that he wrote his first sermons on. And I, I actually have tried to type with it a little bit. It is frustrating as all get out. All right? um, and, but anyways, I got that typewriter. And it's got all these letters on it. And you, and you hit one of those letters, and what does it do? Yeah, it hits down. And it takes ink, and it hits down on a piece of paper. All right? So it blows or it strikes the piece of paper. And what does it leave? An impression. It leaves an impression of a letter. That's exactly what's pictured by this word. Through the things that the Thessalonian church had endured, God had used it to use that strike to leave an impression on all the other people who were watching them. And so we see this impression was etched in their life. And interestingly, in all of the New Testament, in all of Paul's writings, he never refers to any other church as being an example to all the others. The Thessalonian church, and I thought this was really interesting, the Thessalonian church was the only one that he said, you're an example for everybody else to be patterned after. The Thessalonian church had become a type for all others to be patterned after. Their influence had left an impression throughout the surrounding regions, and he mentions Macedonia. Macedonia was the region that Thessalonica was in. And Achaia was the region where Paul was ministering at when he wrote this letter. Achaia was the region where Corinth was at, in Athens. And so Paul was saying, listen, everywhere that we've traveled, people have been talking about what God has been doing in Thessalonica. Listen, church, you have left an impression that is making a difference in helping other churches understand how they are supposed to be. That's what Paul was telling this church. And let me tell you this evening, God desires to use his divine typeset on us to impress a pattern for others to be able to follow after. You can imagine a divine typewriter. God wants to set us in the mix and use his typeset to put an impression on our lives that can leave a message for all other people that can make an impact on all other people. And by the way, I know that there are churches today that leave this kind of impression on our society. Now, one that has certainly left an impression on me uh, was the church that I was saved in. None of you may, may know about that church, but boy, uh, I'm thankful for the impression that was left on me of the gospel being preached there. I'm thankful for the impression of a church like Lancaster Baptist. And uh, uh, they have influenced many people. Uh, Brother Reese and, Brother Reese and my life and our families in particular. I'm thankful that God's used that type of ministry to leave an impression. Hey, I'm thankful for the ministry of a, of a guy like uh, John MacArthur, who during 2020 took a very bold stand against much opposition and left an impression for all other people in churches all over this country. And I can go on down the line and talk about a lot of ministries like this. I believe there are churches that God's still using to leave an impression exactly like what the Bible is talking about here. But can I go a step further and say that God desires for our church to etch an impression for others to follow after, in particular in our city. And that starts with every one of us being willing to live out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 2, Ye are our epistles, known and read of all men. Your life is the only Bible some people will ever read. How one person put it. Your life is the only Bible some people will ever read. What a convicting reminder that is. One person wrote this, he said, my life shall touch a do dozen lives before this day is done. 
leave countless marks for good or ill, ere sets the evening sun. This is the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, may my life help other lives it touches by the way. And that ought to be our prayer, that God would use our life to etch an impression for the sake of Christ. So we see the impression is etched. The second thing I want you to notice is that the impression is ec- was echoed. The impression was echoed. Verse number 8, the Bible says, For from you sounded out. That literally means echoed. From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God's word is spread abroad. The testimony of this church had sounded out. It had echoed far beyond just their city. The word of God, this church had declared, it was still resounding in all places. Like a trumpet being sounded into a canyon, it carries that effect on down through the canyon. That's the idea being pictured. Paul said, what God has done among you is having a ripple effect way beyond your coast. And can I say this? It's still leaving a ripple effect on us today as we read the pages of Scripture and we hear about this Thessalonian church. God's still using the impression they left to echo to us today and to remind us this is what a gospel uh, ministry is supposed to look like. And so we see the great impact that this ministry was able to have. He said that your influence is spread abroad. That phrase spread abroad is in the perfect active, which, which means that it was an action that took place in the, in the past, and it's still carrying uh, results into the present today. It, in other words, it's not just that it spread abroad and stopped. It's still spreading abroad. It's still going forth. It's still having an impact. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to, I'd like to be able to have an impact for the cause of Christ that doesn't go to a certain point and stop. I'd like to be able to have an impact for the cause of Christ that keeps going and keeps going and keeps reaching and keeps impacting lives. And that's the kind of impact that a true gospel ministry is able to have. Now, I've been here not very long but I've been here long enough to see the ripple effect of true gospel ministry. I've already mentioned this once, but it was neat to see a recent example of this. Uh, when Eli Lansing came, rode on a bus to church 20 years ago. Don Wilson shared the gospel with him then. Didn't get saved then. It comes back 20 years later. And the gospel has a ripple effect. And he trusts Christ as his Savior. That's what we're talking about. We want, a, we want an influence that continues to impact people for generations and generations. So the impression is etched. It is echoed. But the third thing I see, this impression is evidence. It is evidence. Look at the end of verse 8. The Bible says, so that we need not to speak anything. What is Paul saying? He's saying the deep impression the Thessalonian church had left on society was a testament to the genuineness of the apostles' ministry in that city. Paul, Paul, Paul didn't have to say anything. Um, he would go to places and people would say, Paul, did you hear about what's happening in Thessalonica? Yeah, I heard. It's pretty awesome what God's doing there, isn't it? it Paul said, I don't even have to bring it up. <laughs> uh, the testimony of what God's doing and, and how he has shaken your city and how people are being saved and lives are being transformed, it's having an incredible influence. And, and, and the, uh, the impression that the gospel had left on that city was evidence that spoke for itself. All right? It was evidence. And I, and I wonder, even as I, t- I say this, the type of impression our church leaves on people, what kind of evidence is it. Sometimes I wonder, outside of these walls, what do people think of this ministry? You say, I don't care what people think. I care what God thinks. Okay, I'm happy for you, okay? You know, our testimony matters. It matters. And let's be honest, there are some things that have happened in the past in this ministry that have left a bad testimony. And it is our job, church, as the people of Jesus Christ in this city, to strive to have a testimony that is a void of offense before God and men, as the apostles said. We want to leave an impression that is an impression that reflects well 
on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul commended the church at Thessalonica because of their gospel impact. They were leaving an impression that was a good impression for the sake of Christ. And may that be true of our church as well. This is why you need to be careful in your business dealings. This is why you need to be careful with your neighbors, okay? This is why you need to be careful with people uh, in the community because we have a name that we represent that is more important than our last name. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to put him first in all things. How you live your life, how we live our lives as a church is leaving an impression. What kind of impression is it? It's a convicting question that all of us need to consider. All right? Now here's the final mark, and we'll be done. The final mark that we see is the impact of gospel ministry. The impact of gospel ministry. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The impact of the gospel ministry at Thessalonica, Paul said, could be measured by how it had transformed the lives of the people who lived there. And everyone who had, who had heard about the work of God at Thessalonica could testify of the incredible impact that it had had on those people. Those people had turned from being idol worshipers to being worshipers of the one true God. And people who, who heard and saw what was happening in Thessalonica, they could not deny the incredible impact of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the extent of the impact, as Paul writes here, could be measured by three choices that, had, uh, that these people had been moved to make. I want us to notice these three choices before we're done. Because listen, the ministry, the impact of the gospel upon this ministry can also be measured by how we as a church have made these three choices. What are they? Well, the first one is this. They chose to turn to God. To turn to God. Verse 9 says it clearly there towards the end of the verse, how you turned to God from idols. The Thessalonians were primarily Greeks and Romans who, uh, ha uh, who observed the Hellenistic religions. Uh, they would worship the ancient Greek and Roman gods in Thessalonica. Uh, the primary deity, false deity that they worshiped was Zeus or, or Jupiter to the Romans. Um, and then, then they, had, they uh, pr presumably had a temple there actually made to Zeus. And so they were literally idol worshipers. Uh, uh, and there was mostly uh, a Greek and Roman a population who lived there in Thessalonica. That was who these people were before Paul and Silas, moved of God, came and preached the gospel in this city. But when these pagan idol-worshiping people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, they made a decision, and the decision they made, Paul said, was to turn to God. Now, I love how he uses that phrase. What is indicated by that word turned is that they were converted. They were won over by a truth that literally caused them to reject their old system of believing. No longer were they idol-worshiping pagans, but they had turned to God. They had turned to the one true God. And I'll tell you this, and I don't want you to forget this. The message of the gospel calls all men to turn from their own way to faith in God alone. More specifically, to faith in Christ alone. True salvation cannot take place without repentance. Now, some people harp on me for talking about repentance, but listen, it's in the Bible. And I, don't, I understand that we need to be able to explain the gospel simply. But we're not talking about these Thessalonians said, oh yeah, we've got all these other idols. Let's throw Jesus in there. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. They said, we're done with that. that those idols aren't even real. They turned from their old belief system and they said, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what true conversion looks like. Now in Acts chapter number 20 and verse 21, it describes this process as repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, you have 
to repent. That means you have to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. I was trusting in my own religion, or I was trusting in my own good works, or I was trusting in nothing. And I realized this is wrong. I need Jesus. You come to Jesus and you call on Jesus in faith and trust Jesus as your Savior. That's what I mean. And that's what happened for these Thessalonian believers. They had repented of their sin. They turned from their own way and they turned to Jesus Christ to trust in Him alone as their Savior. And I'm telling you, the impact of the gospel in that place could be seen through the choice that they had made to turn to God from their idols. And be it known to us, we're not just trying to build a group of people who claim the name of Christianity, but don't claim the Christ of Christianity. And God still calls people to turn from their own way to trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to be their Savior. And Jesus still says there's just one way, and he's it. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the first choice they made that showed the impact of the gospel was to turn to God. The second choice they made was to serve God. Notice what it says there in verse number 9. It says how you turn to God from idols, and let's read the rest of the verse out loud together, to serve the living and true God. See the progression here. They turned to serve God. They turned to serve God. That word serve is the Greek word duleo. And it literally or basically means to serve as a slave. It's talking about slavery type service there. It's interesting that they would use that, 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 that specific word was used here. And what's indicated by that is they weren't converting to Christ out of a desire to benefit themselves. But it was out of a true conviction that Christ was the true Savior and he was therefore worthy of their service. And I want you to listen to me on this because sometimes people, quote unquote, convert to Christianity for a relationship. Or quote unquote, convert to Christianity because they presume, well, if I go to that church, it might benefit my business. And I can go on down the line and talk about so many things that I've seen throughout the years. That's not what was happening here. These people had genuinely believed in Christ, and it was demonstrated by the fact that they wanted to serve Christ. They were willing to sacrifice their own lives. They were willing to sacrifice their own livelihoods and to use their life in service to the Lord. And I want you to understand the reason why they wanted to serve the Lord is because they believed something about Him. See, they wanted to, they turned to God from idols to serve who? What does the rest of that verse say? To serve the living and the true God. Now, Paul used those words emphatically. All right? Living, they were serving the living Savior as opposed to the dead idols that they used to serve, right? And they were, they were serving the true or the genuine God, the real God, as opposed to all those fake gods that they used to serve, that they used to worship. They found out, I found the real God. I found the true God. I found the living God. I don't need the dead stuff anymore. I don't need the fake stuff anymore. I'm going to live my life for him. And the impact of the gospel on that city could be seen in the fact not only that they had turned from their own way to Christ, but they had dedicated their life in consecration to serve the Lord. Listen, a lot of people convert to Christianity. But how many people take the second step? And consecrate their life to the Lord. The plea from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12.1 for believers. Is I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. When you get a hold of the fact that Jesus is the real God. He's the true God. He's the living God. All the other things that you think you should be living for. Pale in comparison to living your life for him. When the gospel truly has an impact on a church, on a city, it'll come as the people in that church are moved to make these decisions, to turn to God, to serve God, and the final decision is this, is this and that is to wait for God. To wait for God. Verse number 10, it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath of to come. Now, the mark of the impact of the gospel in Thessalonica could be seen in how the people there lived in anticipation of Jesus' soon return. 
They said to wait for. It's the only time in the New Testament this word is used in the Greek. Wait for. Uh, uh, anameno is the word in the Greek, and it literally or essentially means to wait expectantly for someone or to look forward to something. What were they waiting for? The Son, Jesus, the one who'd come to deliver them. They were waiting for, expecting that the one who had rescued them from the penalty of their sin was soon coming again to deliver them from the very presence of sin in this world. That's what's indicated by the rest of what the verse is talking about here. And I don't have time to park on this very long tonight, but there's actually an incredible example here that we'll refer back to later. And this, this text is one of the most important texts that proves the fact that God will not leave believers behind during the tribulation. You read the rest of that verse. It literally says there at the end of that verse that they uh, were going to wait for a son from heaven. And the end of the verse says, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Delivered us from the wrath to come. The coming wrath being spoken of here is a reference to the end times judgment that God is going to pour out on this sinful world. And how many of you are thankful for the fact that one of these days Jesus is going to come again and you and I are going to be called out of this world? What a, what a day that's going to be. Later on, Paul talks literally about the rapture in this same book of the Bible. He's referencing it early on here. To wait for a son from heaven because he's going to, he's going to bring us home. We're going to be called home up out of this world. And one of the marks of a true, uh, the impact of a, uh, on a gospel uh, a ministry is the fact that the people choose to wait on God. Now listen. The Bible clearly teaches us that the coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. You say, what does that mean? That means it could happen anytime. It could happen before we leave this place. That's why the Bible tells us to watch and be ready for the Son of Man comes at an hour that you don't think he's going to come. That's my paraphrase. He's coming at an hour that you think not. Jesus could come again at any moment. There's nothing else that needs to happen before Jesus Christ comes again. And so as believers, we are to live in anticipation of Jesus' soon return. And that is a mark of the impact of a gospel ministry. A bunch of people who believed in Jesus Christ. And even though we've never seen him with our eyes, we know there's coming a day when the clouds will spread and our Lord is going to come again in the skies. And what a day that's going to be. Listen. Does it make sense to people that don't believe that we have that kind of expectation, anticipation? But boy, even though we've never seen him, we believe and we know he's coming again. What does it look like to live with anticipation? All right, final illustration and I'll be done. We used to have a dog named Rocky. May he rest in peace, okay? We used to have a dog named Rocky. Rocky was a very excitable dog. All right, he was actually a lot of fun. And when I would come home, I'd open the gate to our yard. If he hadn't escaped from our yard, that is, I'd come home, and that dog would be there. And boy, as soon as I walk in, you know what he did? He's gone. He's running all over the place. And he'd come back, and he'd want to play. He was so excited. That dog, it's like he waited all day for me to come home. And, and, and it was incredible. Uh, it was a lot of fun to have a dog like that. But every once in a while, I'd come home. I didn't know where Rocky was. Now, sometimes it's because he escaped, okay? Uh, but not always. Sometimes I'd come home, and Rocky would be hiding. You say, why? Well, probably because he got into something he shouldn't. Or maybe he used the bathroom somewhere he shouldn't, and he knew he was going to get in trouble. That's why. He wasn't living in anticipation there. He was living with some anxiety then. <laughs> now, which one do you think represents what we're to be like for Christ? Well, the first one. See, we're to live in anticipation. He could come home at any moment. And Jesus, I'm excited to see you. We don't want to allow sin or anything like that in our life to fill our hearts with anxiety. And so like it says in 1 John chapter 3, that when he comes, we'll be ashamed before him at his coming. We'll be like, we'll be like that dog that turns tail when the master comes home because he's done, he knows he's been doing some things he shouldn't do. I'd rather live my life in anticipation of his return, expecting, ready for Jesus to come back. And that's the kind of spirit that we're supposed to embrace, and that's the kind of impact that, a, that the gospel has 
on a ministry when we allow it to. It causes us to make these choices, to turn to God, to serve God, and to wait for God's soon return. Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, I told you at the beginning, wherever someone conducts gospel ministry, it leaves some very distinct marks. It will inf- its influence will be sincere, spiritual, sure, and shown. It will cause people to imitate not just the leaders, but more importantly, Jesus. It will leave a godly impression on all people that they will never forget. And it will impact the lives of people so much that they are completely changed. They turn to God. They serve God. They're waiting for God. Listen, I've just seen this too many times. An old sinner gets saved. Maybe he was the town drunk before. Maybe he was known for something else among his groups of friends that wasn't very good. But he gets saved. He turns to God. All of a sudden, those same friends see him serving God. And they think, what happened to you? Oh, you got caught up in religion. No, I got caught up in Jesus. That's what I got caught up in. That's the power of the gospel. Listen, Paul looked at Thessalonica and said, you bear the marks, the distinct marks of being a gospel ministry. And my heart's desire for Lighthouse Baptist Church is that we would grow and that we would bear the marks of the impact of a true gospel ministry. But where are we falling short? As we've heard the example of this wonderful church, I don't know about you, but there's been some areas in my life that God's made clear I need to grow in. And I hope that you've been listening. And I hope that you'd be willing to respond and ask God to help you to grow in those areas tonight.